The following sermon is by Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Please visit us at 2100 Noble Road in Raleigh or on the web at ebcraleigh.com. And now, here's Pastor Steve. Amen, church. Aren't you, uh, aren't you glad the Lord blesses with gifts like that? Amen. And I just want to say praise God for the choir too. As I listened to that song, I was thinking, you know, there's a lot of voices out here. If you want an opportunity to serve in the life of the church, you ought to get a hold of Jamie after the service. Join the choir. Sing with them. Good, good music today stirs, stirs my soul. We are in the middle of a series in the book of Acts. So I'd like for you to take your Bible and turn to 1 Timothy chapter number 3. 1 Timothy chapter number 3. While you're making your way there, I, I want to take a moment. I think this is appropriate and right. Uh, if you, uh, are, if you're a veteran of our armed military forces, uh, would you go ahead and stand for us today? Let's, let's recognize all of those who are in service or have been in service for our country. Can we thank these brothers and sisters? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank you so much for your service in years gone by. And those of you that are currently serving, we thank the Lord that uh, we are allowed to meet in a church in a free country. And we thank Him for His grace. First Timothy uh, chapter number 3. I'm going to go ahead and just read the entirety of this chapter. It's only 16 verses. Then we'll have a word of prayer and uh, see what the Lord has for us today. So, First Timothy chapter number three. And that's uh, if you're just joining us today, maybe you're not familiar with the scripture. There's a Bible in the pew back in front of you, and the Bible is much like other books. It has a table of contents in the very first few pages, and so you can find its way over to the right hand side of the book. And you'll find First Timothy chapter three. The big number is the chapter. The smaller numbers are the um, the actual verses. So, First Timothy three. Let me, uh, let me read the Word of the Lord to us today and we'll bow for prayer. So it is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires, desires the office of an overseer, a bishop, it is a fine work that he desires to do. An overseer then must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, and able to teach. Not addicted to wine or pugnacious but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his household well, keeping his children under the control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? And not a new convert, so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil." And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Verse number 8, Deacons likewise must be men of dignity, not double-tongued or addicted to much wine or fond of sordid gain, but holding to the mystery of faith with a clear conscience. These men must also first be tested then let them serve as deacons if they are above reproach. Women or wives must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Deacons must be husbands 
I have only one wife and good managers of their children and their own households. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and a great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. I am writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before too long. But in case I am delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the support of the truth. By common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. He who was revealed in the flesh was vindicated in the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up into the glory. And all God's people said, Amen. Bow with me for a word of prayer. Our Lord, now we come to You. We believe in the inerrant and infallible and inspired Word of the living God. We have sung. We have fellowshiped. We have hugged each other. We have prayed. We have given. And now, Lord, we have opened Your Word. And so we pray with all of our might that the Spirit of the living God would descend upon us, that You would help us, that You would move into the life of every person here. So if there are believers here today, that You would transform us into the image of Jesus by what we learn that we would be more conformed to You and we would be a better church for it. We pray for the unbelieving soul that's here today that maybe has come in here weak and wounded and desperate and looking for hope. I pray that they would find their hope in none other than the crucified and resurrected Lord Jesus. That they would put their faith and confidence in Him alone and have new life. We love You. We thank You. And now we pray that You would honor Your Word and change Your people for it is in the good name of Jesus we do pray these things. Amen. Those of you that are just visiting with us, we our church is in the middle of a series in the book of Acts. We're walking our way through there. And uh, several weeks ago, we got to Acts chapter number 6, where the uh, apostles uh, tell the congregation to look out for them some deacons, maybe seven men that can take care of widows and orphans and the physical needs of the church. And as we were working through that, we just decided to take a few weeks and talk about church structure and what that needs to look like. And so last week, we talked a little bit about elders and their their heart. And so this week we want to not just only look at the heart of elders, but we want to look and see what are the biblical qualifications for elders and for deacons and really for every church member. We want to learn to be an example for God's people and for the lost community that is around us. And when we approach this subject here in chapter number three, uh, I think that you'll find that we need to uh, we need to take a balanced perspective of the scripture. I, I, what I mean by that is I, I think about um, several uh, several years ago, I uh, uh, would started taking trips overseas, so El Salvador and uh, Bucharest and places around the world. And I have been into some places, mainly San Salvador and Bucharest, where I remember uh, getting into the vehicle where the missionary was going to take me somewhere, and uh, I, my heart was in, in so uh, in such turmoil that I had to pray, Jesus, take the wheel. All right, these people, listen, they in some of these countries they have driving laws, but they're really more like driving suggestions. And I mean, I, I listen, I was having an ulcer. I was getting nervous. I was getting, I couldn't preach. And I finally said, Lord, this is craziness. Take the wheel. They were driving suggestions, not driving laws. 
I would submit to you that when we look at the text today, these qualifications for elders and pastors and, and, and for deacons and for every individual, we need to take a, a hard look at this and understand that the text says we must be this way. That holiness must be a part of our life. That these things are necessary in the qualifications for those who would hold uh, offices within the life of the church. But I also remember that I took an ethics class one time at the seminary and uh, the professor was so hard on things that I remember getting in my car and every time the odometer would float above 55, I felt like I needed to repent in sackcloth and ash. You know what I mean? It was like, man, I'm saying. And, and so on, there's two extremes there. There's the one extreme where the, this text could just be, oh, those are mere suggestions. Take them if you want, leave them if you want. That's antiquated, that's old school. You know, nobody could do all of those things. I want to submit to you that the Bible says, no, they can and must be in the life of the leader in the church. It is not an option. They are not suggestions. At the same time, I want us to be careful that we not get so caught up in the minutia of small discussions. Well, does that mean a husband of one wife? Does that mean this? Does that mean that? Can a single man be a pastor? Can this happen? What if, what if my spouse dies? Can I be in a position? We don't want to go so far into the trees that we miss the forest and all of a sudden we don't understand that the whole drive of the text is that these people to serve as examples to God's congregation. The main thrust of this text is that we be above reproach. You say, does that mean that a pastor can never sin? No, you're looking at one that does so all the time. Hey, y'all didn't say amen. That would have been a place for you to get me. No, it doesn't mean that they can never sin. It simply means that they must have this as the tenor of their life, that they are seeking with everything they have to follow the qualifications of an elder and a deacon and an individual within the life of the church. And at the same time, they can serve as an example to God's people. That's what this text is driving at today. Let me bring us up to speed where we are. I'll just make a few points for you. Uh, so when we look at chapter number 1 of 1 Timothy, uh, Paul is writing to the young, young fella. He's still wet behind the ears. He's a pastor. He just goes in there. And what does he tell Timothy in chapter number 1? Guard the gospel that's been entrusted to you with everything you have. Guard the gospel. And I would say to our congregation and every true church, the fundamental basis of everything that we do is that we guard the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we don't let false doctrine slip into our church, that we never fall prey to other kinds of gospels that are heresy, but that we remember that the gospel is that God created a perfect world. Mankind sinned before a living God, and all of us have been plunged into sin, but God sent His only Son, Jesus, into the world to live and to die and to be raised again on the third day, so that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And we take that gospel to the rest to the world. Amen? Amen? Amen, church. That is the gospel. And Paul writes to Timothy and says, listen, you're going to have a thousand things hit you when you get to that church. There's going to be all kinds of people with agendas and problems and counseling. But the number one thing in chapter one is guard the gospel. What's he follow that up with in chapter number two? He says, after you're guarding the gospel, establish a prayer ministry. That's exactly what he says. And because he recognized that young Timothy would never be able to be an elder and lead the people of God unless God's people developed a life of prayer. And so in chapter number 2, the first seven verses, he said, I want all of God's people to be praying for the king and to be praying for the country, to be praying for each other, to be praying for the salvation of the lost and the revival of His people. We must be the kind of people that pray.
Now you said amen in a minute ago at the gospel. I want you to say amen for prayer. That's right. We love the gospel. We're not always praying the way that we should. At the end of chapter number 2, Paul kind of uh, ends that by saying, hey, listen, I want to remind you that not only does this gospel need to be guarded, not only do we need to have a prayer life, but men and women in the church need to operate in the way that God created them for His kingdom and for the glory of God. And now in chapter number 3, the Apostle Paul says, hey, now I'm going to set up for you. I want you to see what the offices look like inside a local church. And he says, I want those elders to be an example. I want the deacons to be an example. And I want every individual member of the church to live as an example of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let me just uh, discuss this in three portions. Number one, every elder should be an example. And look with me, if you would, back at verse number uh, maybe one through uh, one through seven. So it is a trustworthy statement. The Apostle Paul makes that statement at least two, three, four times in, in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. It is a true statement. It is a right statement. You can go to the bank on this statement. If any man aspires or desires to this office of a bishop or an overseer, and remember I told you last week that these words are interchangeable. Overseer, bishop, pastor, elder. It's talking about the leading role within the church life, right? If they have that desire in their heart. And you remember last Last week we discussed that, that there's kind of three things that are going on. That a man feels an inward compulsion, that, that God, he, his bones burn within him, that he must preach and teach and lead God's people. At the same time, the Spirit of God is confirming that by bringing that upon that individual. And then the wider body of the church acknowledges and affirms what God is doing in the life of a man, and he is raised up to lead God's people. So look back down at the text. This is a fine, this is a good work that he desires to do. And now look here, if you would, in these next few verses. So the overseer or the elder or the bishop, this person must be an example in his character, with his family, and within the life of the church. Look with me at verse 2 and 3. First of all, in his character. An overseer then must be above reproach. It doesn't mean that he can't have any sin in his life, but it simply means that he is an example to the believing body of Christ's community. It means that he is consistently putting off the old man and putting on the new man and that he is walking in the faithfulness of Jesus. And when you look at a man like that within the life of the church, that he is faithful and you say, that man's not perfect, but he is an example. Then he is following Jesus with everything that he has. And look at what he says here. They must be above reproach, the husband of one wife. Uh, gentlemen, I would just say to you, if you aspire to the office of a bishop, be faithful to the wife that is in your possession right now. Amen, ladies? Amen, ladies? Gentlemen, I'm telling you, if you have things, if you're viewing things on your computer and on your iPhone, and if you're, if you're taking your mind into places of unfaithfulness, you need to drop those sins off in your life, flee to the cross in repentance and faith, and love Jesus more than you love your flesh. Be faithful to the wife that is in your possession. To be temperate, that is simply to be balanced, to have the right attitude, that you don't fly off the handle all the time. I'll tell you, within the life of the church, these men who desire to be an elder, you've got to be the kind of person who has some self-control in your life. That you're not flying off the handle, that you're not given to uh, excess and, and all of these things, but that you learn to be balanced and in control of your life. If you can't be that way, you can't be an elder within the life of God's church to be temperate, to be prudent, simply to be wise, 
to be thoughtful. Some, some men within the life of the church, their mouth speaks and their mind is catching up to it. What it ought to be is that your mind is thinking and your mouth is what lags behind. The Bible simply says that we should be, uh, we should be quick to have mercy and grace, but we should be slow to speak and slow to wrath and slow to anger and quick to receive and listen to God's people. So if you're the kind of person, now I just want to tell you something. I knew somebody one time that just, uh, some guy, he just had a bad attitude. In fact, he was serving as an elder in a church, and he just run off of the mouth and get mad all the time. And he told me one time, he said, that's just the way I am. Well, listen, change. The way you are is wrong. It's not godly. Be temperate. Be prudent. Be wise. Be wise in your finances. Be, be wise with your family. Be wise with your friends. Be wise in your relationships with people at church. These are the kind of men that serve as elders within the life of the congregation. They are prudent. They are respectable. And I want to tell you something. Respectable doesn't mean have a lot of money. Now, I want God to bring us as many people that have a lot of money as can. Amen? We need some of that. But I want to tell you something. Money is not the marker for respectability. You don't have to have a dime in your pocket, but if you're a holy man of God, you can be respectable. Alright? Be respectable. And then look what it says here. Hospitable. Uh, maybe in our day and time, I would just simply say, are you okay with having folks over to your house? Are you okay with opening up and bringing people in and having dinner with them? And You know, I have to think in my own life. Sometimes I get, I get tired and, and weary, but uh, my wife helps me out so much. And I say, hey, listen, we got to have people in. We got to love on people. We got to take care of people. And not just the people that can do something for you. I'm talking about anybody in the life of the congregation. Even the people that suck the life out of you. And don't laugh at me as if you don't know who they are. Some of you might be some of them. I'm not saying. Hospitable gentleman means that when you're walking down the hall and you see that person coming to church and you know when you ask them how their week's been, they're going to tell you. And you kind of dart into the bathroom or go upstairs. No, being hospitable simply means that you go and talk to them anyway. And when they dump the puke on you, you wipe it off and say, I love you, let's pray together. Yeah, being hospitable, taking people into your home and fellowshipping and breaking bad bread with people. If, if, if that's not the kind of person you are, then you're not meeting these qualifications. Look back down, if you would, at the text in this character, right? Be an example in your character, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Do you know one of the, one of the lines of demarcations between elders or pastors and deacons within the life of the church is the deacons are not required so much so to be apt to teach or to be working in the teaching. Now, there are many deacons that can teach and do teach. And in fact, in the book of Acts, Stephen and Philip, who were deacons, they are teaching within the life of the church and sharing the gospel. But one of the marks here for the elder or the pastor is that he's apt to teach. And so, gentlemen, I would say, if you want to walk faithfully toward eldership, learn to teach. Grow in the Word. Grow in the Word. Even if you never become an elder in this church, gentlemen, you are responsible to lead your wives and your children and your grandchildren to love God and His Word. Amen? So Steve, do I, do I have to have some dynamic personality? No. Do I even have to know how to read? No. You can open the Bible and have your wife or your children read a particular text. Talk to them about that. 
and pray with them. You see, the issue in leading your home is not so much being able to have all of the dynamite power or some sort of bombastic personality. It is consistency and initiative to lead your home in the Word of God. Apt to teach. Not addicted to wine or pugnacious, right? So don't be a drunk and don't be a fighter. And can I say this, not just a brawler, not just with your fisticuffs, but if you're the kind of man in this church where when you're offended, your first uh, impetus is to fight back, to hurt with your tongue, to destroy somebody or pull them down, or to talk about somebody or something when you don't have all the facts, get right with Jesus. That's wrong. Don't be given to much wine. Don't be pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. Those are character qualities. Be an example in your character. Be an example with your family. Look at verse 4 and 5. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under the control with dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? And so, gentlemen, I would say, those of you that aspire and looking and have an inward compulsion to be an elder within the life of the church as we move forward, you cannot be the kind of person who is not invested in the life of your children. Now listen, don't run with this text and say, well, what if I have a 15-year-old and they, they rebel, or a 17-year-old and they rebel and they're not walking with Jesus. What I want you to understand is if you're faithfully raising your children to the glory of God, there does come a point where every human being has a responsibility before themselves and before the Lord. Is that not right? Right. And so you guide and lead. You know, man in our church told me one time, I, I thought this was special. He said, Steve, he said, if you don't invest in your children's life from, uh, from birth to 12, you don't get a say in the next six years of their life. Don't pass it off to mama. Don't put it off as if it's not something special and important. Every year of your children's life, give yourself over to investing in them. If you want to be an elder, you want to disciple people, lead people, guide and shepherd God's flock, it's got to start at home. Shepherding your children, shepherding your family, loving and walking with them. You have to be an example in your character. You need to be an example with your family. And you need to be an example in the church. Look, if you would, back at verse number uh, 6 and 7. And not a new convert. You see, we, we, we don't make deacons and, and we don't make elders out of Johnny-come-latelys. If a young guy rises up in the church and says, uh, Pastor, I, I feel like God's called me to preach. I, I want to be this. I want to do that. Hold on there, buddy. Let's get a few years of experience. Let's get some dings in your car. Let's see if you've got some faithfulness. Let's see if you know the Word. And not just if you know it, but if you're living it and you're willing to walk. And when things don't go your way, you don't pack up your toys and go play in somebody else's sandbox. Right? Well, I didn't get my... I just don't like that church. I'm going somewhere else. That's the kind of person. Don't lay hands on them. They're a new convert. They're a novice. Elders have to be the kind of men who are faithful and steadfast. And what come may, what kind of storms, what kind of hurts, what kind of pains, they will toe the line of the gospel and live for Jesus in boldness and holiness, and they won't give up. Billy Sunday said, be faithful till the stars fall. And when they fall, keep being faithful. Look what it says here, not a new convert. Why? And so they do not become conceited. You know, I man, let me see where, where am I? 
Y'all give me a few extra minutes today. I, years ago, I was at a small Bible college, and I remember this guy was uh, talking to me, a friend of mine. We were here, we were in a class, and uh, he said, uh, he said to me, he said, um, uh, "Listen, I, I know the gospel." I said, "Well, that's great. I do too." And he said, "No, no, no. When I preach, people get saved." <laughs> oh. I said, well, what is it? He had some cockamamie understanding of the gospel. I said, well, that's wrong. That in the Bible. He said, you'll understand when the Spirit lets you know. Really? Yeah, not a brawler, but I wanted to give him one of these, you know? You know what he was? He was conceited. What happens when you preach that gospel and nobody gets saved? You're going to run to another gospel? You're going to find one that fits you better? Or are you going to stay by the stuff? and preach the Word of the living God, and, and, and let the chips fall where they may. Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Only one gospel. Preach it and stay faithful and don't get conceited. Can't have an elder like that. Look back down at verse number 7. I'll, I'll finish this. Not only an example in character, an example with your family, an elder must be an example with the church. And look what it says, and he must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Brothers, if you seek and aspire to be an elder in this church, you've got to be around lost people. And you've got to have a good reputation around lost people. Don't be a fake. Don't be a phony. Love on lost people. Get around them. Rub up next to them. Share the gospel with them. Well, you know why they got mad at Jesus? Because He ate dinner with sinners. When's the last time you had your lost neighbors over for dinner? Now, you don't want to smell like a lost person. You don't want to look like one. You want to stay as far away as you can. No, don't be that way. You want to be an elder in the life of the church? You have a good reputation around lost people of being faithful to Jesus, faithful to them. I was reading this past week, and it was a funny little thing. It said, uh, expectation of the next pastor or elder that comes to this church, he must be 29 with 40 years of experience. <coughs> He must spend every waking hour in his office, but he also must visit every elderly person at the same time. He must be a missional-driven, catalyst, church-growing expert and guru. You know, most of the time when you look at those church positions, they focus on all of these other things except for focusing on an elder that can be an example. Paul didn't say he had to have the greatest speaking voice in the world. Paul didn't say he had to be, you know, good, good looking like this brother. Why y'all laugh? My wife didn't laugh. She's smiling over there. Amen. Hey, ain't about how you look. Ain't about how you look. Ain't all about how you speak. Are you an example to the congregation in your character? With your family? With your church and with the outside world? Let me give you a few things quickly. Look at verse number 8. Let's talk about the deacons for a moment. Deacons likewise must be men of dignity. Deacons likewise must be men of dignity. Not double-tongued or addicted to much wine or fond of sordid gain. You see, from verse number 8, deacons have a similar quality that they must be an example in their character as well too. They must be men of dignity. They must be men that don't speak out of both sides of their mouth. That don't talk about their elders in an inappropriate way with the rest of the congregation. 
that have your back, that seek to do right all the time, that don't gossip, they're not double-tongued, or addicted to much wine, or fond of sordid gain. They're not looking, hey, in our day and time, maybe you're not looking for sordid gain, but you want to be a deacon in the life of this church. You want that prestige. You want that power. You want people to look at you and think something special. My brothers, that is not what it is about. It's about being a man of dignity, a man of a true tongue, and a man who is not after power and prestige, but is after the humility of God in their life. Look at verse number 9. Not only do they need to be an example in their character, they need to be an example in the way that they are faithful and obedient to the Word of God. Notice what goes on here in verse number 9. But holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. These men must also first be tested and then let them serve as deacons if they are above reproach. What is going on in verse number 9 and 10? What is this issue about being faithful to the mystery of the Gospel? Well, who did God assign to proclaim and teach and explain the mystery of the Gospel? The elders, the apostles. And so what one of the qualifications of a deacon is, is not only that they serve and they're faithful in the life of the church, but they're listening on Sunday and appropriating the message on Monday. If you want to be a deacon serving in the life of this church, it's not just that you've got a skill set that nobody can match. It's that you're humbled underneath the elder leadership of your church and the Word of the living God. And you are seeking to be an example to the congregation of how to take the sermons and take the Word and live that out in your life. And as you live out the mystery of the Gospel in your life, all of the people of the congregation will look to your example and say, that's the way we need to listen to the Word of God on Sunday. Elders serve by leading and deacons serve, uh, lead by serving. That is what we are supposed to do. And we are to test these people. We have our deacons coming up here in a few weeks and they are men that need to be tested and proved that they are walking with Jesus. Not only that, but they need to have uh, their house be an example with their household. Look at uh, verse number 11. Wives must likewise be dignified. You see, these um, these wives of these uh, men that are serving as deacons, they too must be dignified and not malicious gossips, but temperate and faithful in all things. And deacons must be husbands of only one wife and good managers of their children and their own household. You need to be an example, deacons, and I'm preaching to them. You need to be an example with your household and with your wives. And so why in the world will there be that little... Why would there be that little text in there about these wives? Because, gentlemen, I want you to understand, when you serve as a deacon in the life of the church, you're taking care of people's physical needs. And so you're going to be serving families. And when you serve as a deacon, your wife comes on board and she serves with you. And sometimes she's smarter than you. Sometimes she has a better sense of hospitality and how to love on people. You ought to be taking your wives to the hospitals and to help help out in these physical situations of the life of the church. And ladies, you must not be gossips. So if I pound on the men, ladies, you you listen to me. Don't be a gossip. Don't be a busybody. I I can't tell you the enormous damage that is done in the lives of churches by people who gossip in church life thinking they know something and having no clue of the rest of the facts. Here's here's a test for you. When you start to talk to somebody, if Jesus couldn't be in the conversation with you, then be quiet. And I think we dismiss the children to go to children's church. So if Jesus couldn't be with you, shut up. 
Maybe that's a little more forceful. If you can't have a conversation in which Christ couldn't be there with you, don't have that conversation. Don't be a gossip. And then look here, if you would, at um, the privilege of these deacons. Verse number... um, 13, for those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and a great confidence in the faith of Jesus Christ. Isn't it kind of neat that the elders didn't get a fun verse, but the deacons do? Maybe Jesus knows. We discussed that text last week where the elders have that crown of glory that's going to be given to them by the great good shepherd, right? But here what it says is, you serve well as a deacon. What do you think the Apostle Paul knows? He knows that if you're a deacon in the life of the church, you're not going to get much fame. You're not going to get much glory. Nobody's going to, nobody's going to think that lift you up. You're not in front of all the people, but you have good confidence. And in the eyes of Jesus, you're blessed. Amen? I remember the first one I was um, years ago. I was at a church, and I got to serve as a deacon. And uh, the, this uh, older guy took me in a room and shut the door. Nobody. I was kind of woo, kind of. It's kind of weird. What's going on? And he sat down at the table. He says, "Steve, here's. You need to know this. If you're going to serve as a deacon in the life of this church, this is this is what it looks like. Anytime anything in the life of the church goes well and smoothly, and things are operating, and 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 needs are being met, and problems are being solved, and nobody knows knows who to thank uh, to be thankful for, then you know you're doing your job correctly." You want to be a deacon in the life of this church, you're not looking to be in front of everybody. You're looking to be behind everybody and below everybody and lifting them up. I said, well, put it that way. I'm not sure I want to do that. We're not sure we want you to either. Humble men serving in the life of deacon. Let me finish this, uh, let me finish this last point. Look at verse number 14. Now listen, verse 14 through verse number 16 we could preach weeks on. This is an early church doxology. You see how verse number 16 has that crescendo effect. Look at it. It says, He who is revealed in the flesh and vindicated by the Spirit, seen of angels, proclaimed in the world, believed on in the world, and taken up into the glory. Even the early church had these great doxologies and confessions of faith that Jesus was everything. We could preach for a long time. But let me just say this to every person in the life of this church. You need to be an example in your conduct and in your confession. Look at verse number 14. I am writing these things to you hoping to come to you soon. But in case I'm delayed, I'm writing so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, the church, the pillar of the truth. You remember we've been talking the past several weeks, the structure of the church looks like this, that we are elder-led, that we are deacon-served, because we're Baptists, we'll put in parentheses, we are committee-assisted and congregationally affirmed. Elder-led, deacon-served, committee-assisted, congregationally affirmed. Paul's writing to Timothy and says, This is the way that I want you to do church. I want you to conduct yourself appropriately. And brothers and sisters in our congregation, I have no problem standing on God's Word and saying to you, the way that you ought to conduct yourself in the church, in the life of the church, is to be obedient and submissive to the elders of your church. As long as they are being biblical in the way that they lead, your deacons ought to serve faithfully the physical needs of the congregation. When we do develop uh, committees, all right, when we have committees, 
They don't, do not exist in their own authority. They meet and pray and say, what is the vision of the leadership and how can we help? And the congregation affirms by our presence, by our faithfulness, and by the way we carry out the Word of God in our workaday world. What is the confession? The confession is Jesus Christ, brought into the world, lived a sinless life, died on the cross, rose again on the third day. Why do we even have a church? Because Jesus saved us from our sin. And if you're in this room today and you say, man, I'm learning some about this church, what I want you to know is that every person in this room at one time or another in our life were wicked, hell-bound sinners and Jesus stepped down out of glory and saved us by His power and by His might and by His goodness. Our feet are made of clay just like yours, but we are redeemed by the goodness and the mercy of Christ. And if you find yourself in a position needing the help of Christ, lay down your pride, lay down your arrogance, lay down all of your weapons of warfare and beg for Jesus to save you and He will. Come unto me all you who are weak and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Believe on me and you'll be saved. Come to Jesus. I finished by telling you this. Last week, no, three weeks ago, I was out here in the lobby and one dear sister in our congregation that had gone to a ladies' retreat, and I'm going to tell you who it is. She had gone to one of our ladies' retreats, and she said to me, Pastor, I had a beaming smile. She said, Pastor, I've had an epiphany. I said, what is that? And she said, you know what? And it's the sweetest, most tender heart. She said, you know what I learned? I, I said, she said, maybe I thought about it, but I learned for the first time that God wants me to keep short accounts in my life. God wants me to confess my sin daily and to look to Him, and to worship Him, and and to make Him the Lord of my life every day, to keep short accounts. I I had a smile on my face, thanking God. You see what's wrapped up in that? Conduct and confession. That there is a humility, that there is a confession, that there is a repentance, that there is a faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that is living with that dear sister every day. And some of you in this room smirk either outwardly or inwardly. Well, I've known that forever, but you don't do that in your life. In the last seven days, did you bow your head and say, I am a sinner and I have failed you in this and this and this and this. And by God's mercy and the shed blood of Jesus, I put my life and trust in you. Forgive me and help me to live for you this day and every day for your glory. If you didn't do that, you need an epiphany. Every individual member of the church needs to be an example of the believers in our conduct, in our confession. You might be here today. Somebody's looking to you. You're an example to somebody. I hold James every Saturday afternoon in my right arm with a big glass of unsweetened tea with sweet and low in it right there to my left side. And we watch football, and I drink, and I feed him the bottle when it's time. And the other day, had him in my arm, no bottle in his, and I bring the, I bring my cup up. I have one of those little thermos things, you know. I bring it up like that, and he wants to play with it. So he reaches out for it. And so I'm thinking, well, I'll play with him a little bit. And wouldn't you know, I brought it up here like that, and he, he grabbed it and tilted it like he was going to drink it. 
And I said, how does he know? He uses the bottle. He goes, that's how he drinks. He doesn't drink like that. You want to know how he drinks that way? Or you want to know how he's learning that? Because every Saturday, he sits there and watches Daddy pull that cup up and drink that way. And in an eight-month-old's mind, he's learning by example. You have people that are learning by example of the way you live your life. From eight months to a hundred. How are you living today? Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes just for a moment? Heads bowed and eyes are closed. Hey, brothers and sisters in our church, this is what we do. We're going to give you a space here right now. Even as I'm talking, you do business with God right where you are. Maybe, maybe for our brothers and sisters, this is a place. Why don't you just repent and say, Lord, I need you. I need to be more faithful. I need to be an example. And I need to trust Jesus. And there's unbelievers here today. So what do I do? What's helped for me? Call to Jesus right now in your own words, in your heart. Ask Him to save you. And He will. And we'll walk alongside with you the rest of your life and help you to learn how to be like Him. We're going to stand sing a couple of verses of an invitation. These steps down here, we call an altar, brothers and sisters. Maybe you're serious. Say, I want to make some differences in my life. I want to change. I want to be more conformed to Jesus. When we start to sing, nobody worry about who else is here. You're more than welcome to come down and pray here. If you're lost and you say, I want to, I need somebody to help me trust Jesus, you come down and see me. We'll take you to the side in a, in a private room and help you, lead you to Jesus. But you respond as God is moving on your heart today. Would you stand with us? Let's sing a song together. You've been listening to Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh. For more information and free access to other messages, please visit us at ebcraleigh.com.